1: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to African Dialogue, and uh, we are right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa on DSTV Channel 802. You can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for joining us, where we look at the big subject matters on the continent of Africa. Well, today we're looking at our first episode of a series that we'll be doing in the next two or three weeks. Looking at commemorating the sixteen days of activism against women and against the abuse of uh, women and uh, children, and we'll be doing that because it is a big uh, kind of uh, campaign in South Africa, so we'll be looking at that today. but before we get into that big subject, let's get our news. We have Anne Musa standing by.
3: In the headlines, thousands protests across Burundi in support of the government's opposition to the United Nations investigators. Egypt's authorities arrest an extremist cell planning anti-government attacks. And UN report reveals four million children orphaned due to violence in the DRC. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Thousands of people have taken part in street protests across Burundi in support of the government's opposition to United Nations investigators who are looking into alleged human rights abuses in the East African country. In the capital, Bujumbura, the protests were led by Mayor Fredy Mpunimpa, an ally of President Pien Kurunziza. There were similar protests in more than 100 areas. Bernard Bankunkira reports.
4: Everest de the Secretary-General of the CNDD-FTD ruling party, was in the southern province of Rumanga, and his address to the irritated crowd, Mr. de accused Belgium of preparing a genocide in Burundi and of being the origin of all the misfortunes that Burundi has been undergoing since independence till now. Speaking on the current ethnic killings that hit Burundi since independence, the CNDDFDD Secretary-General accused Belgium, the colonial power, To create inequalities among Brunians and establish puppet governments that were to kill innocent citizens.
3: Egypt's interior ministry says authorities have arrested an extremist cell planning anti government attacks. Ten suspects have been arrested in the province of Suze and have confessed to doing surveillance work in preparation for targeting a number of security locations and police personnel. The ministry says one of those arrested, Abdel Rahman al-Hadi, has links to militants in North Sinai and has received bomb-making and weapons training there. Egypt's Islamic State affiliate is active in Sinai, where the Egyptian army is fighting to curb a militant insurgency and consolidate its grip on the area. Ugandan police say 55 people have been killed in clashes between security forces and a new armed group reportedly fighting to create a separate state in the west of the country. Police spokesperson Andrew Felix Kawisi says 14 police officers and 41 militants had died in the clashes in the town of Kasise when fighters linked to the Royal Guard of the Ruenzuru Kingdom attacked patrolling security forces. The local tribal king, Charles Wesley Mambare, has been arrested following the clashes. The UN says some 4 million children have lost at least one parent in two decades of continuous violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In a report, it says that a total of more than 26 million children have also been orphaned in Western Central Africa. This is the second highest number of orphans living in the world behind Asia. The DRC has been plagued by ethnic conflict and a fight over valuable minerals since 1998. On Sunday, at least 30 civilians were killed in the DRC when militiamen from the Nande ethnic group in the eastern country attacked the village of Luanga, where the Hutu ethnic people live. The Nande and Hutu groups have been divided along ethnic lines and relations between the two sides have been tense over the past months. And finally, political analyst Samatota Fikeni has warned South African Trade Federation Kusatu against repeating past mistakes by supporting leaders before considering their principles. Last week, the Labor Federation announced that it would support and lobby for Cyril Ramaphosa to take over from Jacob Zuma as ANC president in 2017. Fikeni says he hopes Kusatu has learned from mistakes it made ahead of the ANC elective conference in Pulukwana in 2008.
2: Kosatu made a blunder going to Puruwane. The focus was on do you support this or that leader at the time when ANC was experiencing its institutionalized factionalism. And now to say we will simply support anyone who follows these principles and will oppose anyone who is not upholding these principles becomes a problem which is afflicting ANC, SACP, COSATU, and uh, the youth leagues.
3: Recapping the top stories, thousands protests across Burundi in support of the government's opposition to United Nations investigators. Egypt's authorities arrest an extremist cell planning anti-government attacks and UN report reveals four million children orphaned due to violence in the DRC.
5: Namibia International Beach and Cultural Festival Langstrand Beach, Walvis Bay Namibia, 23rd, 24th, 25th of December Music Festival with international and local artists 4-9 accommodation packages and activities available at Compute Ticket Travel Event tickets available at CompuTick. 150 Namibian dollars, 150 rands, and 130 pula. Tickets are available at ShopRite and Checkers. Get yours today. VIP is 500 Namibian dollars, 500 rands, or 380 pula. Hashtag Xmas in Namibia. Hashtag Harambe. Cultures of Southern Africa route is powered by Channel Africa www.culturalfestival.net. Download the app today.
1: You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we're on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Hey, thank you for joining us there. And if you're listening to us uh, online, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za and on shortwave, our frequency is 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. Well, this is, I don't know if this is a positive thing or if it's a negative thing or if it helps the whole issue of the abuse against women and children we've got a 16 days campaign that takes place in the beginning of November starts from the 25th of uh, November to the 10th of December it's 16 days of activism for no violence against women and children which is an international awareness raising campaign but in South Africa we started adopting this campaign in 1998 as one of the intervention strategies towards creating a society of of, uh, freedom of from violence, especially against uh, women and children. Uh, the period includes Universal Children's Day and World AIDS Day and I think that collaboration or that uh, link is very much uh, essential because all these things are related and the campaign continues to raise awareness against South Africans about the negative impact of violence against women and children on all members of the community. For, for the next two to three weeks, we'll be looking at doing a series looking at uh, you know whether this campaign is working, the experiences of women, and uh, also the trends that we're seeing when it comes to violence uh, against women and children. In our studios, we've got Alta McMaster, who is also a survivor uh, of abuse, and on our line, we also have uh, Patrick Solomons, who's a director of Molosong Lolo I hope I'm saying that right, it's a bit of a tongue twister, uh, but I want to start with you, Alta, in uh, in our studios, because when I was... Kind of thinking about this program, I was thinking about the experience of women who've experienced or kind of nearly experienced kind of abuse or any form of abuse around them. I know you were a survivor of this kind of a thing, but can you just put us through your personal experience, what you went through?
6: Hi, Benjamin. Thanks for having me here today. Sure. Um, my personal experience had happened about 16 years back, sure. and as a lot of women in our country do when it happens, You don't talk about it. Sure. You don't report it. Because there's so many misconceptions out there where survivors blame themselves Mm. and they shame and and you don't know how people will react. Mm. So for many years I kept quiet and I never spoke about it. Mm. Not realizing, not speaking about it affected me in a negative way.
1: So let's be a little bit more specific. Was (laughs) this a relationship with your husband? What actually happened? What did mm-hmm. you actually experience with this kind of abuse? Because I'm thinking maybe there's someone listening to us right now and would say, I didn't know that was abuse. I thought that would happen in every relationship. Because the problem is sometimes we make these things so common and mundane and we think it's just how things are in life.
6: Look, My story is one with, with quite a few twists and turns. Sure. Um, my husband was a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also bisexual with mm-hmm. a preference for men. Mm-hmm. Um, His business was liquidated, Mm. so he lost everything he owned, no income, drag Mm, habit mm. to support. So he prostituted himself to other men. Mm. And it was one of these men who found out he was married, offered him double if he could have me while my husband was watching. So I was drugged, and this man was let into my home. Um, I was raped in my own home.
1: Wow, that's such a sad story. And in terms of that experience How long did that last? Did that last for a long period? Or was there a moment where you like No, I can't really do this Or I can't mm-hmm. find myself in this situation When was that moment for you When you kind of realized This is not what I'm about?
6: It was actually quite a few years later Because it was difficult for me to speak about it Because mm. he's a father of my children sure, sure. Um, So I, I tried to make myself believe it didn't happen mm. um, it, it took probably about six years before i realized that mm. it was affecting me negatively i actually sat in a conference the one day and mm. a woman said the words whatever you're not speaking about is controlling you and that was my lightning mm. bolt mm. moment where i knew me not speaking about it never say, letting people know what actually mm. happened was controlling me and i was i'm Be honest i was a horrible person Mm. all my relationships with other people my decisions I made it affected everything Mm. and i made that decision to stand up speak out tell my story and you know you don't know how people are going to react when you do that Mm. but i was quite surprised i got so many positive feedbacks Mm. and so much support from people out there i regretted that i didn't do it before
1: Mm. you know what i want us to backtrack out just Mm. a little bit here And go back to this issue of silence. What contributed to you being a silent victim? Because that seems to be a very big trend where people just become silent about the abuse. They don't tell anyone about it. Mm
6: -hmm. I think there's a lot to do with victim blaming Mm -hmm. where people don't really look at the issues. They'll look at what did you do wrong? Mm -hmm. And as a victim, you also feel what did I do wrong? Where Mm -hmm. did I go wrong? I mean, I went through those feelings myself Mm -hmm. thinking, You know, what did I do to cause this? Mm. And people should never think about what did you do to cause it? Mm. And then also the misconceptions out there, um, thinking, you know, if you've got a mini skirt on or if you've been drinking, that's Mm. why you were raped. Mm. Um, You don't know how people are going to react. And and it's a shameful thing as well to go out and admit that you have been raped. So it's Mm. very difficult for people to speak about it. So Mm. at some point it it feels easier to keep quiet. Mm. But it's not really easier.
1: Mm. Let me bring in Patrick Solomons, who's the director of Molosong Lolo, who's joining us on the line. Patrick, I'm sure Alta's uh, um, narrative is not very much different to a lot of the stories that we have heard. It seems like it is a pattern that takes place when it comes to abuse children and abused uh, women. Um, y- you know, are we dealing with these issues of breaking the silences because sometimes you know not all actually not sometimes most of the time abuse is something that happens behind closed doors people don't have access to sometimes women don't have to scream or shout for them to actually be in that particular situation it can be a silent experience and i'm sure it's difficult for us as a society to break behind those walls and those barriers
2: yeah, that is correct, and I think um, for women and for children, um, you know, their homes are probably the most unsafe place for for mo- uh, for many of them. Mm-hmm. It's a place where they're supposed to be safe, where they're supposed to have protectors and carers mm-hmm. and stuff. Unfortunately, that is not not the case for many, many, many children and women and so a lot of women and young girls in particular also they are groomed and they're coerced and they're manipulated and then forced Mm -hmm. to accept and submit the violence that um is forced upon them so a lot of women uh, feel um, you know that they can't leave for one or other reason teenage girls believe that they are in love or that he really really likes me and Mm -hmm. loves Mm -hmm. me and stuff like that and so they um are Coerced into accepting this violence, mm. and therefore, um, you know, even before um, um, you know, a child or a teenager or a woman decides to go and report or to tell her story, there's a long process for her to undo the coercion, the grooming, mm. and the manipulation mm. and the impact thereof um, on them. And and I think the story that we've just heard now um, is, uh, is, an, um, is is not uncommon mm. where. Um, the people that you live with, your loved ones, the people that you've married, um, siblings, you know, um, they can become your worst um, nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, uh, sometimes also, um, you know, we wait far too long. You see, because we uh, believe that uh, you know, that we're forced to 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 stay in the mm. situation mm. we're forced by our family, our friends and society that you know that we 've got to make it work that you know that we um, have now to um, you know, set up our house and our home, mm. and that we were with family and we mustn't bring you know um, public uh, disgrace so, to so. the house and the home and so all those factors you know um force women and children not to come out and report not to seek help. Mm. And and I think um, we need um, to do more and need to go, um, you know, uh, much further to ensure that um, you know, women and, and, and girls and young people have an ease of access mm. to support systems. Mm. And the support system is not just your NGOs or your social so, so. services, but it's all the support systems within communities mm. yeah. where they feel safe and, uh, you know, and uh, can trust that they can go or can, um, you know, get the support that they need.
1: Mm. Well, I'm going to have to take a quick break and then I'll come back to you because I think both you and Alta raise very big issues, you know, What's very, very big on this particular issue is some things that I've written here in front of me. It's close to home. And also the perpetrators, the issue of grooming that you highlight there, uh, Patrick, is something that's very, very worrying. Because you get these systematic kind of um, ways of grooming children. It becomes so personalized that uh, maybe it becomes normalized in a family context? How do people break free from those kinds of um, almost like institutionalizations of making it normal, this issue of abuse in the home? What are your thoughts? Maybe you have your own experiences. Give us your thoughts. You can tweet us at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. We want to hear from you. Or you can email us at info at ChannelAfrica.org I've got Alta Master who's Joining us in our studio. She is a rape survivor. And I've got Patrick Solomons, who is a director of Molo Songololo. But I know, Alta, you also have an organization of your own. We'll speak about that when we come back after this break. It's 18 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back.
3: November is Disability Month in South Africa, but should be a continental event. So, let's all make a difference. Channel Africa is calling on all to join us to help needy children everywhere.
1: If parents would love their children, care for them, tender for them, no matter rich or poor, I believe this world would be a better place.
3: This year's theme is Persons with Disabilities Equal Participants in Shaping a Sustainable Future. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: well, not an easy topic that we're speaking about today. We're looking at 16 days of activism against the violence against women and children. And uh, what's interesting about this 16 days uh, campaign is that sometimes it becomes so normalized. We have it every year. Even when we were discussing it, one of our frameworks was, why are we even doing this thing again? And it's because the statistics are so huge. It's not something to normalize. As much as it seems normal, it isn't something that a society can enable enable and I'm looking at some of these statistics that were released the latest one on uh, the city press and an article by Zintle Mapumolo it's titled shocking stats on abuse of women in South Africa one in every four women is physically abused by her intimate partner now listen to this every six hours a woman is killed by her current or former intimate uh, partner now those are big numbers every six hours a woman is is killed by a current former intimate partner. And that's what both Patrick and Arthur were highlighting. The fact that it's something that's very close to home. It's something that's very intimate. And sometimes it's very difficult to go public with it. And as Patrick was highlighting, because of that issue where one might feel it's public disgrace. And, um, how did you get out of that space, Alta, where you were mm-hmm. like, as much as this thing has happened to me, and I feel that maybe I might have contributed, which, of course, you weren't a contributor. No mm-hmm. one contributes to being raped. No one deserves to be hit or abused. Mm-hmm. It's actually, uh, you know, it's all onus on the perpetrator themselves. But with all these feelings of guilt, how do you actually go out, despite the fact you, you're really afraid of this public disgrace, this myth of public disgrace that, keeps following women that are and children that are being abused.
6: Um, Look, obviously I was very scared of what people would say, what people would think. Mm. I was worried about my children and Mm. and how it would affect them because it was their father. So that was a big reason why I didn't speak either because I thought I was protecting them. Um, But at the end of the day, you know that guilt feeling, Um, I often thought about what if I spoke up? What if I went to the police and laid a case and that guy got locked up? And then I thought, I never did that. So if he did that to someone else, it's my fault. So that, that contributed a lot to why I spoke up. Um, when I heard those words, whatever you're not speaking about is controlling you, I made that, that decision that no matter what people are going to say or what they're going to think, it is time for me to speak up because it's the right thing to do. Mm. So for me, from a personal level, I knew I had to do that. Mm. Um, and that is why I decided. This is time to speak up and tell my story.
1: And and the difficulty now for most women and children is where do you go? Who do you speak to? Um, do I just go to the um, you know police station just around the corner where my dad has friends there? He drinks with a couple of guys there. Where do we go for this kind of? Victimization and sense of aloneness because you know abuse is sometimes you get isolated from the rest of society and when it happens no one is there you're all by yourself so now you have to include community I'm sure that's one of the difficult things to do
6: very much I think a, a big thing why people don't speak up as well as they don't know who to speak to where to go a lot of people are scared to go to the police station and report. Um, so what we try to do is encourage people to to look around. I mean, they can phone the Epic Foundation, which is my organization. We will get referrals. But there's a lot of organizations out there providing help and support like Power, Lifeline, um, Childline, Teddy Bear Clinic. All those people can help survivors out there, but they or, or victims of abuse as well. Um, but people don't always know where to go, so it's important for people to be empowered with information to know where to go and what to do to help them to speak up when these things happen.
1: Mm. Patrick, let me bring you in your thoughts around where people go. I'm sure the idea of, like I mentioned, to out of interacting with community and. You know, giving people, you know, an eye view into this very um, disheartening and very violent, intimate space of your life is not an easy one.
2: and yeah, no, it's, it's very difficult for um, someone who's been violated and traumatized um, you know, through domestic violence, through abuse, um, through violence and sexual violence as well. So they often find themselves in a very, very lonely place. Um, you know, they normally sort of go into themselves. Um, You know, family members sometimes don't know what's happening. They find it difficult to speak to family members about it. Um, So there's a lot of communication um, um, breakdown that also happens with the people that um, can't possibly provide support also. So it takes a lot of courage uh, of victims and survivors to actually speak out. They've uh, experienced severe trauma. So they have to deal with the actual trauma and then now also then ha- they have to deal with the actual reporting. And reporting is not just a simple process. It's quite complex. There's reporting to the loved ones, to the people around you, and then also the impact of that reporting. Then there's reporting, uh, to, for example, to the police or to other um, you know, um, institutional um, services and stuff like that. Um, so that... All of them have its own consequences and have particular kind of impact on on, on, on victims Mm -hmm. and every victim responds differently to to his own own levels of um, uh, trauma and and, and abuse um, uh, that they suffered so um, it's so it's not very um, an easy process and then i think the other thing is is that um the people to whom um you know, these cases are being reported, family members, they have to have to be patient. They have to sort of, uh, it's not about them. The whole issue is that they didn't suffer the trauma, but they will be impact on by the trauma that happened there. And therefore, they need to be patient. They also need, uh, to, don't have to expect all the answers um, at the same time. They have to uh, basically give the, um, the victim, the person who has experienced the severe trauma, time and opportunity to, um, to, to, to to feel comfortable again, to feel trusting again, to be able to have the courage to communicate and say exactly what happened to them. And also they cannot expect mm-hmm. that the victim will tell them everything. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that uh, the victim might have difficulty to talk about that happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so, because what we often find is that family members they want to know everything right now they want to rush off to the police to Mm. go and make it right Mm. and all that kind of stuff and the victim sometimes gets left behind Mm. it's almost like a payback
1: system like we need to pay this man back for what he did to you and not really looking at the uh, holistic thing
2: that's right, and therefore we need to look at like, you know, what, um, the needs of the victim, what are they going through, mm, how can we exactly. assist them to feel safe again, how can we assist them, not sure. only safe in the home, but safe generally, so, um, having um, a, um, a safe persona and all that kind of stuff, that will be crucial. The next thing is, of course, making sure that the there's the support that this person needs from time to time, as and um, they would like uh, through, the, through the through the day and um, thereafter after, and then also long term. And then, of course, um, now how do you reintegrate that person back into the family? For example, mm-hmm. how do you get the family mm-hmm. members mm-hmm. to talk about it? or not talk about it you know? there's all of those kind of things that is also very very crucial and, um, and um, what we also find is that often people expect once you've told them everything and uh, they know, now, uh, know that w- uh, what happened and what's going on they expect victims to go back to the normal situation the way things were before mm. and uh, it never happens like that mm. I think recovery is a long process the healing process is a personal process as well although family members and friends can help make it easier but it's a very personal journey that each and every victim have to take to eventually um, learn how to cope um, with the trauma that they've experienced
1: Mm. well i want to come back to this issue of women i want to focus on women i think you know we'll deal with the children because we've got other opportunities to do that but, you know, when it when we live in a society where you have um, almost gender hierarchies, where males' positions, just the way society is, are seen as more superior. Their views in, in the household especially, uh, they control because they control the money in the house. And also the fact that, you know, men have been kind of socialized to believe that they can get away with just being playing this male position of superiority it's just the way we are raised how much of that alta actually is a contributor of this abuse you know that men are more superior in their homes Mm -hmm. than wives and you know the whole issue of equality is not one that's really well entrenched in even our south african societies even 20 years down the line Mm -hmm. in our democracy
6: Um, That's very true I mean in a household where the the male is superior um, you might have a situation where um, the wife is not working and so she's totally dependent on him which makes it even more difficult for her to speak up because if if she speaks up about what's happening how is she going to take care of herself and the children so in able to protect herself and the children she might not speak up so that, that is a huge contributing factor.
1: And and Alta, what's also worrying is the fact that men understand their positions of power. They understand that they have these strongholds upon women that they can utilize as their own defense mechanisms not to actually be exposed of what they're doing in their households.
6: Hmm. That's very true, and I I don't really have an answer for that because this is something that is... Part of our culture, you can almost say. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to change the situation, we, we need to recondition our whole society mm-hmm. so that people can be seen on, on equal level. There's more respect for each other because mm-hmm. at the moment, respect is a huge problem. There mm-hmm. isn't that respect, not even mm-hmm. for other people out there if mm-hmm. you look at the crime rates in our country. Sure. So it's, it's a huge problem and where to start to rectifying it. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult question to answer
1: Patrick your thoughts on this Idea of chauvinism this Patriarchal society that we live in The fact that gender roles Are still seen as Men are dominating within The roles in the households Especially when it comes to uh, Decision making uh, When it comes to their uh, Financial uh, Prowess within relationships I'm sure that actually exacerbates the situation
2: Yes, it does. And um, it was International Men's Day not so long ago.
1: Oh, um, I didn't know so there was that. an International Men's Day.
2: Yes, there's an International <laughs> Men's Day. Okay. And basically it promotes violence amongst men and responsibility and all that kind okay, of stuff sure. um, amongst men and boys. Sure. And I, I had the opportunity to um, engage with a, a group of men Um and uh, what was very interesting is that generally men from just that experience, generally they feel that they are protectors and providers, that they, are, they have the last word, that they are, have the power, and that their women uh, needs to listen to them. And that is basically what, um, what, what um, these men um, you know, believe that is their role. Um, they see themselves both as a provider, but also as someone who has power and who then also have the last word. So they both see uh, the provider, the carer, and the, uh, like the, 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 the oppressor as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so I think generally that is what uh, society have constructed, uh, this, um, that relationship that we have in terms of our uh, gender relations, that um, men still have the last word, men still decide what happens, how things happen, and men still believe that women is there to, to support him, and to make him look good, and um, to contribute his um, status basically. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we see how, and um, even um, you know, we carry and um, these things forward to boys. Boys are allowed to get away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. They are encouraged to start um, you know engaging in having sex. But when the daughters come home and they are pregnant. Then the daughters are the ones that are shamed. Mm, mm. The daughters are the one that is, you know, that is putting um, you know, the family in the bad light and all that kind of stuff. Mm, mm. Um, the boys are always encouraged. How many girlfriends do you have? You know, did you start having sex already?
1: Yeah, you can't just and have, have one, one, one girlfriend as a guy.
2: Exactly, you need so to so show
1: your of, uh, your manhood.
2: Continue to 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 to, to present. Um, and then um, it was also very interesting although the men at this particular workplace, they accept that at work you need to have gender equality and you need to have good positive gender relations Mm, at work mm. but they would not apply the same principles at home Mm, so we are socialized also to play different roles in different kinds of settings Mm, where mm, men are mm, beginning mm. to to understand that in the public domain Mm. that um, there are sort of um, legal rules Mm that we need to comply with, and that in the public domain, uh, they have to behave, right? Mm. But they still believe that at home, they king. Mm. And so that is the kind of attitude that still sort of prevails largely throughout our society. And then the other thing that we also find very interesting for the work that we do is that a lot of women buy into this. Mm. A lo- lot of women see themselves as, uh, as, um, as um, complementing their husbands. Mm-hmm. right so therefore we have situations where women um also encourage their, their, their boys to be boys mm-hmm. right and, and, and encourage the girls to be to prepare themselves eventually for marriage mm-hmm. boys are prepared for a good work and to become a provider mm-hmm. so a lot of women are then also forced to accept and buy into this whole notion of um you know that women's role um you know that it's particular and specific and, and same with men and that basically women, we need to rear um, our know, women to support men and to be there for men mm-hmm. and that the notion of the, the, um, you know, the woman or the girl child who's powerful, strong, independent thinking and you know, creative uh, in the home environment wow. mm-hmm. is very much suppressed.
1: Well, I love those thoughts that you're highlighting because they they show patterns of sociological and um, family dynamics that actually contribute, like also very much slightly, not in a very overt way, but uh, in their nuances, they can promote some form of. Uh, um, a disadvantage for women and I want to take a quick break and then we'll, we'll come back to how do we move forward beyond this because a 16 days campaign, as much as of a great thing it is, it's not actually a solution to dealing with the societal ills that we're finding, especially in a violent country such as South Africa that was alluded to by Alta McMaster who is in our studios. We also have Patrick Solomons who is a director of Molo Solongololo who's on the line. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. Maybe we're going to come back with some solutions. I know we've highlighted some solutions during our program, but really tidy it up to see what are the best solutions in a collective way of society of how we can move on uh, in, in, instead of just having a superficial 16 days of activism against women and children. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. <laughs> Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance in our studio of Alta McMaster, who's a survivor of rape. I don't want to also call it just a survivor of rape, but she's also a founder of the Epic Foundation, which is an organization that is uh, actually working on uh, empowering people in crisis, men and women who've been raped. And I think that's a good way of dealing with such issues because there's a lot of organizations that deal with uh, uh, female abuse, but also male abuse is very common and we don't deal with it. Also, I want to come to you in, in terms of that perspective of things of how do we collectively as society deal with this issue? Because I know 16 days can become very superficial. Our statistics are coming out then. We have huge campaigns taking place. We see it on our news feeds. We see it on our social media. But then what happens the rest of the year is that we become complicit and we become enablers of this violence.
6: On the Foundation side, we don't believe in 16 days of activism at all. So our campaign that we're currently running is 16 days of preparation for 365 days of activism. So what we have done is we have selected 16 topics. And each day now we have launched one of those topics on a poster on social media. And then our plan is next year to empower people by providing more more information on those topics. Because... The thing is, when you start talking about rape, people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. I mean, for these days as well, I've got a uh, database of people. I've been mailing out the posters. And every day I do have people saying, take me off your mailing list, because it's a topic that's too painful for people to talk sure, about. Sure. They don't want to. And this is what we need to change. Mm. We need to talk about it. We need to inform people. And this is what we wanting to do next year. Starting from January, we will have... A um, uh, lot of information, articles, everything. We're busy doing thorough research on all the topics because we want to empower people by giving them information so that they don't get stuck in a situation like ours, not knowing what to do and too scared to do anything. So that information is in people's faces all the mm, time, definitely. whether they like to speak about rape and abuse or not. They're going to get information from us
1: Mm. How important is that issue of um, Information Patrick I think it's very important I saw something uh, I'm a very religious person I I saw someone write um, That's why I get so kind of um, Upset with the church sometimes Where someone says information won't make you grow It's your faith that will make you grow Facts would make you grow it's actually Your faith that will make you grow I get really (laughs) angry when I see stuff like that Because I think as a society Collectively in our different spaces When we start educating ourselves, when we start being aware of what other people think, their opinions, how they see the world, or other people's experiences, especially in something that's so um, behind closed doors, we need to talk more about it. Not just during these sixteen days of activism.
2: That is correct, and I think um, you know that um, it also provides us, though, with an opportunity whereby we can look at what have we gained, right? and what works and then also it gives an opportunity to look at what are the challenges what doesn't work and then what can we do to change that and who can change these things and i think mm-hmm. that's what we need to do we need to sort of um you know review and evaluate exactly where um, how far have we come to ensure that uh, women um are um you know that their rights are being respected and protected and i think that is very very important so um, information is is it's it's absolutely a lot of girl children and women still have um, have challenges in uh, properly understanding exactly what their rights are where to go to for help and assistance for example how to exercise their rights so we need to make sure that um, we inform people about their rights empower them with knowledge and information right and then, of course, we need to make sure that people know exactly where to, where can they go to for help, what kind of services are out there, and how to also generate a support system for them um, where they are. So so those things are very, very important. Then at another level, I think, you know, with the 16 Days of Activism, it's an opportunity for us also to engage government and mm. to look at how government has progress mm. to ensure that government are able to implement the laws that are supposed to uh, protect women, the laws are yeah, supposed yeah. to empower women, provide opportunities for women and for our gold children. Right? Yeah. So that is very important. But more importantly also, and I think it's important for us that we use this as, as an opportunity to engage yeah. uh, you know, men, folk and boys also sure. around sure. the issues of gender equality, gender relations, yeah. right? And then uh, to... The use of the opportunity that we have whether it's at the workplace in schools or wherever we we are that we engage girls and boys men and women around these issues because there's mm-hmm. a great lack of dialogue yes. um and understand exactly what are the issues that boys are going through what are the things that men are going through and um, like, you know, what are the things and for them to hear each other mm-hmm. um you know in relation to uh, the kinds of challenges that is there the kinds of you know, um, the attitudes that, that prevails there, mm. and then also the behavior. Mm. Um, uh, what is appropriate, what's uh, not appropriate. So there's a lot of dialogue that we can have and that we should generate during this period. And, as, and, mm. and I uh, ag- um, agree with uh, this, uh, um, my, uh, the previous this speaker, um, mm. right? Mm. And we need to be creative as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I like the creative idea of sure. creating that awareness using social media, for mm. example. Mm. Mm. Um, so that that is very, very important. Um, and then of course also we need to also try and find um, fun ways of do, uh, getting messages out there. Sure. Um, so that we can have a conversation with um, you know, teenagers and young people, mm. that we can have a conversation um, in a fun way as well, so, so that we can take it into the, um, you know, the pubs and clubs, into, onto the sports field, mm, mm, uh, where mm. people normally gather, mm. and that the issue of gender and gender equality and, and gender relations is not just for a serious discussion but that we can have that conversation everywhere Mm. and at every time.
1: Mm. well that's how we're going to wrap it up thank you to both my guests this is going to be a big series that we're going to be looking at I know that we didn't really speak on the big issue of children abuse but sometimes we put this thing all together and sometimes we just need to break it down sometimes and I thought that looking at violence against women was something that we had to look at from, on a separate level I know we'll, when we continue this month with this series we'll look at the issue of children but thank you to my guests, Alta thank you so much for coming into our studio that's Elton McMaster who's the founder of Epic Foundation and uh, tell us a little bit about your foundation where can people find it can they go online when they need support what can they do
6: Um, they can go to my website the Mm -hmm. website address is www.epicfoundation.org.za all our other contact details and our projects that we run is all detailed on the website and I'm on social media they can find me on on Facebook as well
1: fantastic Patrick tell us a little bit about more Lolo and uh, just your online presence there
2: well, uh, Molo is a child rights organization, so we work with children mm. and young people and children who have been traumatized, and we do a lot of rights education work and advocacy lobbying work. Sure. So um, we have a website, of course, it's dot and then we'll be on Facebook. Mm. And then, of course, if people want to call us, they can also contact us on the telephone, it's 21 double um, four Oh what's the phone number? I forgot the phone number <laughs> But well, it's fine we'll, they we'll can Find it on Facebook sure. as well as our website yes.
1: Fantastic. Well I think we're going to speak to you again Patrick Because we need to speak uh, to you On this issue of uh, our Children uh, in our next series So I hope that you can make yourself available for that But thank you both for giving us your time That's 11.45 Central That's African, African time uh, Let's take a quick break And then we'll be back after this
0: <laughs> change your game be the voice of young african entrepreneurs change your game a program that promotes open discussion change your game we bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the african entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 1045 a.m. Central African Time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African Time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Well, let's quickly move on and get our business news. Wisanima Tebula is with us.
4: Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. So, sure. Some economists are... Optimistic that there are strong grounds for ratings agencies started in poise to keep South Africa's credit ratings at triple B minus with a negative outlook this Friday. Last Friday, Fitch kept the credit score one notch above junk status but changed the country's outlook from stable to negative. It has warned that political risk could head South Africa's economic growth. Mohamed Nala is head of strategic research at Nedbank.
2: If you just have a look at some of the aspects that they raised as risk flags. From June to now, uh, there has been a marginal improvement in some of them. We've had a lot of work behind the scenes uh, between corporate South Africa and the National Treasury. We've also had an improvement in terms of some of the macroeconomic indicators, specifically the the trade balance. Uh, This has led to a significantly narrower current account deficit.
4: Zimbabwe Central Bank says it will circulate $10 million worth of new bond notes on Monday. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe expected the currency to ease serious cash crunch but will limit withdrawals to curb any abuse. The bank first announced the plan in May to issue bond notes to address Chronic cash shortages and supplement dwindling U.S. dollars that have been in circulation for the past seven years, but many Zimbabweans are skeptical about the scheme after rampant money printing caused a 208 multi-billion percent inflationary meltdown. And thousands of textile workers, political party leaders, and youths have uh, given Lesotho Prime Minister Pagadi Tamusi two days to prove that 40,000 jobs will be created under America. African Growth and Opportunity Act. They marched in the streets of the capital Maseru and delivered a petition to the government. Ntagwane reports.
3: The faction of the embattled Prime Minister's Party Democratic Congress says it and its new partners are waiting to take over. D.C. Deputy Leader Munyane Muleleki attended the march.
4: President Obama and President-elect Mr. Donald Trump to give... The incoming government an opportunity, and I hope that I will prevail on the incoming government. Africa has to provide employment opportunities for its youth if it has to harness their potential and contribute to the desired economic growth outlined in the vision of Agenda 2063. The call was made by officials from the African Union, Nepal. And the agency of African Development Bank at the opening of the second annual program for infrastructure development. Week currently underway in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. This year's gathering, organized under the theme Creating Jobs Through Regional Infrastructure Development, has drawn over 250 participants and stakeholders representing member states. And global stocks have ended their week higher with the US indices all finishing at new records while oil prices fell sharply amid continued skepticism about chances. For a deal at next next week's OPEC meeting. All three major US equity indices hit fresh records Friday, and they say trading volume in the holiday shortened session was light. London's benchmark FTSE F- 100, which is the FTSE 100 index, ended, ended at 0.2% as unrevised official data showed that Britain's economy grew by 0.5% in the third quarter. Let's look now at the markets at the dollar at 14.07, South African Rents, 10.67, Botswana but, but Pula, and 9.80, Zambian Gwacha. Also trading at 0.80 to the British pound and 0.94 against the euro. Two commodities now, gold at 1,100. $92, platinum $918 per finance ounce Brent crude oil is at $47.25 per barrel That's how it's looking right now I'll be back in an hour's time with the latest in your business details, but right now it's Fikki Lelingoit is standing by with your sports update
7: In our sports update this hour, we're kicking off with rugby news. Springbok coach Alistair Kutier has reiterated his disappointment at how the Springbok season has gone this year and says it has been a difficult time for his management team and the players. At the same time, Kutier says it is the right time to face the problems that have engulfed South African rugby head-on instead of short-term solutions that only fix the cracks. Kutia says the difference between his team and Wales in last uh, weekend's test at the principal stadium in Cardiff was the experience that the hosts had and the same old mistakes that have dogged the Springboks all season long. The Springboks eventually lost the game 27-13 to finish their end of the year tour winless for the first time in 15 years. It was the third time South Africa lost to Wales and the worst season the Springboks have had, losing eight tests this year. And the Kenya Rugby Union has picked the same team that represented the country at the Southland Sevens in Namibia two weeks ago, ahead of their opening two legs of the 2016-2017 World Rugby Sevens series in Dubai and Cape Town. This came after a deal was brokered during the negotiations between the union and the players on how the contentious issues of unpaid bonuses will be paid. Kenya Sevens coach Innocent Simunye says... Had Kenya Sevens failed to release a team for the weekend league, the country was at the verge of being slapped with sanctions from World Rugby.
4: So the, 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 by large, the program falls under me, so um, I have a keen interest in, in the outcome as, um, as the head coach of Kenya Sevens. And um, I am the one who gets to get the, the discussions and I will want to see them through and, and want all the parties to come to a win-win uh, situation where where the players are happy and the union is comfortable with the agreement that has been uh, arrived at.
7: And in athletics, South African athlete Wade fani is the biggest winner of the major awards at the South African Sports Awards for the second year in a row in Bloemfontein, in South Africa's Free State Province. The 24-year-old has been named Sports Star of the Year, Sportsman of the Year, and also voted in the People's Choice Award. Fanikerk had a year to remember after winning gold in the 400 metres event and breaking Michael Johnson's 17-year-old long-standing record at the Rio Olympics in Brazil. Fanikerk appreciated the awards and the support he received from the public.
3: Yeah, um, I think I've said it uh, how how massive it, it is and how much I appreciate it. I mean, um, obviously, been training for this for about four years now, Olympics, and um, there was a lot of. Tough times. At the same time, there was there was some some good times. But I, I just really thank the Lord for um, being able to push me through, giving me the wisdom to wake up every day and and, and realize that I've, that He's blessed me with a talent. And and that's what it's all about for me right now is just to love out my God-given talents and and try and, and and not be ashamed to do great. But just go out there and, and 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 dominate as much as I can while I can, while it's my time to, to just go out there and and, and do. The best way that I can, and that's what it's all about.
7: Finally, with cricket news, the fourth women's one-day international between the Momentum Proteas and Australia went down to the final ball, ending in a tie at C. X. Coffs International Stadium in Coffs Harbour on Sunday. Australia are three-nil up in the five-match series. The Southern Stars set a 243-run target after electing to bet first. That's the sport news this hour.
1: Well, that's how we wrap up our program today. Thank you for joining us uh, as we begin the new week of African Dialogue. And uh, remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And uh, remember, join us on Twitter at Channel Africa 1 or at uh, African Dialogue. And we have a Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Until next time, from me, Benjamin Mushadama, God bless.